Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to speakersinc.com Global Speakers Showcase. My name is Dwayne Rockwell, and today I have the honor and privilege of introducing Josh Evans. But before we get into that, I want to remind you we are now officially in week number three of what is going to be a 16-week series. Today is the turn of our fourth speaker in that series. And this is, once again, your ideal opportunity to find that speaker that is going to be the perfect speaker for your next engagement. Once we are done here, if you'd like to find out more about Josh, you're more than welcome to pop onto the website, speakersinc.com, the podcast, all the relevant links will be there for you, as well as have a chat to Bronwyn and Duncan about making the booking for Josh Evans. I've said the name Josh Evans a number of times now because he is indeed our speaker for today. So please, at this point, let me introduce him to you. Joshua M. Evans is on a quest to fundamentally change the way people view their work by bringing deeper purpose into the workplace. Joshua has inspired organizations of all sizes by uniquely coupling his 15 years of corporate knowledge, personal stories and stage presence to cultivate an unforgettable experience for every single audience. And I'm sure this one will be no different at all. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Josh Evans. Well, thank you very much. I am honored to be here. So right now in the modern working world, we are facing an unprecedented level of uncertainty. It's uncertainty at levels we have never before experienced. And this uncertainty causes a few reactions in our employees and in our teams. It can cause people to disengage, to burn out, to become complacent, to accept mediocrity. It can cause them to be unhappy and unfulfilled. But if we had to boil that down to a single emotion, I think that what most people are feeling right now is this overwhelming sense of being lost. Now, having studied workplace behavior for over 15 years and having a, a number one bestseller on leadership development, I've become intimately aware of this thing that's missing, this critical element that's no longer within our organizations that we need to bring back. And this, this one thing this one little facet, it impacts everything from company culture to employee engagement, resilience, inclusion, retention. And that one thing that's missing is purpose. Because if we can help our employees to see purpose, it allows them to look past all the day-to-day -day minutia, the stuff that they get trapped in that helps them to forget why they cared so much in the first place. Now, 20 years ago, I was standing in a parking lot loading everything that I owned into my car. Now, all that I owned was not that much. I owned a couple of duffel bags of clothes and gear, a paperback copy of Lord of the Rings by J.R.R. Tolkien, and an acoustic guitar. You see, I was offered a dream job for the summer. I mean, an amazing opportunity that only presents itself once in life. Someone came to me and said, Josh, how would you like to come live in the mountains of Colorado this summer? Go down exhilarating class three, four, and five whitewater, make our guests feel comfortable at the camp, and even play guitar around the campfire. Well, that sounded awesome. And if we're going to be really honest, it sounds a lot more like summer camp than a summer job. So I happily accepted the position, but I had to drive to their base camp. And so to drive there, I was not going to be traveling in luxury. No, I had a late model pickup truck that had over 200,000 miles on it. And this truck had a couple of very unique features. One feature is it was a five-speed manual transmission with no cruise control. 
The next memorable feature was that it had rubber floors, which is great if you spill something, but it's horrible for road noise. It was ridiculously loud inside the cab of this truck. Now, the third and most memorable part of this car is that for long periods of time, the car would not register that the door had closed. Now, if you leave a door open, the car alerts you in two different ways. One is it turns on the dome light above the cab with no way to turn it off without unplugging the light bulb itself. But by the time I figured that out, it was already too hot to remove. Now, the second way that the car alerts you, you've probably heard it yourself, is it emits a loud, high-pitched ding. Ding, ding, ding. It, it's maddening. And on my drive to the base camp for this whitewater rafting company, my car thought that the door was open for seven of the nine-hour drive. Well, luckily, I arrived at their base camp, sanity mostly intact, ready to become a whitewater rafting guide in training. Now, to be a whitewater rafting guide, you need a few specific skills. First off, you need your accreditations. You have to get your CPR, your swift water rescue training. You've got to get first aid. You've got to get over 200 miles logged on that river alone. But those are easy. Anybody can get those things. More importantly, to be a whitewater rafting guide, you need three particular personality traits. Now, the first personality trait is you have to be outgoing. You're going to have hundreds of guests coming in over the course of the summer, and they're going to need to like you and to, to trust you. And most importantly, they're going to need to listen to you once you're on the river. Now, the second personality trait is you must be an adrenaline seeker. Notice I didn't say adrenaline junkie. You can't be addicted to the adrenaline because you're not going to be on the river all the time. That's not the job. But you do need to be looking forward to it. So being an adrenaline seeker, not an adrenaline junkie. Now, the third personality trait is the most important, and it's a two-parter, right? So subsection A of part three in the Whitewater Rafting Guide Handbook is you must be willing to work for, and I cannot stress this enough, very little money. Subsection B of part three in the River Guide Manual is you have to be willing to live like it's the 1800s. My accommodations that I would be staying in for this summer were 300 yards downriver from our main camp, an eight foot by five foot tent. There was no running water. There was no power. I had to read at night by candlelight. And my daily commute involved me walking across a one person wide handmade suspension bridge 40 feet above the Arkansas River. Now, I didn't even have it that bad. One of the other guides lived a half mile up the mountainside in a teepee. Now, this was not somebody of Native American descent. No, this was Trevor from Portland who lived in a teepee that was now going to be one of my coworkers. This promised to be a very interesting and surreal summer experience. Now, I want to take you through what it was like to be one of our guests to come on the river with us. And so the guests would arrive on the first night. We'd show them to their tents, and I would tell them, breakfast will be ready at 7 a.m., and all of us need to be on the bus ready to go to put in by 8.15. Well, that night I would go back to my tent and I would set my battery powered alarm clock to go off at 5.30. At 5.30 it's going off, but I'm getting up to go start breakfast for the guests. Now I head to the kitchen and I use that term pretty loosely because by kitchen, I mean it was an open air pavilion with no power. So to make coffee, there is no Mr. Coffee that you can plug in. There's no Keurig at this time. This is 20 years ago. You don't get to select your own pod. So what I have to do to start the coffee is pump up an old Coleman stove, light the fire, and then put a large metal jug on the fire to start boiling. Now, once that's done, me and the other guys, we go about making breakfast for the guests. And it's 
elaborate meals. We would do eggs and bacon and a big fruit spread and pancakes. It was lovely. So when the guests come out of their tents, they're met with this beautiful breakfast. When they eat their breakfast, and I'm reminding them, make sure that you're on the bus by 8.15 so we can head to put in. Well, they finish eating, and then me and the guides would clean up all their dishes while they're getting ready for the day. Then I would grab my gear. My gear consisted of my paddle, my helmet, my life preserver, and then a World War II ammo can that I would store my first aid kit, my boat patch kit, and my river log miles in. I would stow that into the trailer, and then we'd load up all the gear for the guests, right? Their helmets, their paddles, their life jackets, and then we'd have to load up all the rafts. And these are weighing hundreds of pounds, we'd stack them five high on top of these trailers, strap them down, and then we'd get all of our guests onto the bus to head to put in. Now, once our guests are on the bus and we're headed to the put-in spot, that's where the real fun begins for me. Because we arrive and I get to tell our guests the seriousness of the river they're about to find themselves on. I start off by saying these are class three, four, and five whitewater. Considering that the class stops at five, this is going to be an exhilarating an exhausting day because I expect everybody to paddle. We continue with a safety briefing, telling them the proper way to get in and out of the raft, where to hold on, what to do if you find yourself outside of the raft in the middle of a rapid. And then once the safety briefing is done, we would divide all of the guests up among the guides to be in their boat. Now, as the first year river guide, do you think that I was given all the athletic guests to be in my boat? I was not. It was very rare that I got anybody that was athletic whatsoever. And once we get in the boat, we have about 10 minutes to practice how to hold your paddle, how to paddle correctly, how to turn the boat until we got to our first rapid. And we'd practice for the first 10 minutes and then we'd start approaching our first rapid. And I would tell the guests, I'm so excited we're coming up to our first rapid. It's called wake up because if you're not awake at the beginning, you'll be awake at the end. We've got some other great rapids today. We've got Boat Eater. We've got Wall Slammer, Satan Suckle. It's going to be a lot of fun. Well, the course of a normal day, we'd have a good morning. We'd start off on some smaller class three whitewater. People would get their feet. They start to understand how the boat moved. And by midday, people are starting to get hungry because they've been working pretty hard. So we'd pull over on the side of the river and we'd set up a lovely lunch spread for the guests. We'd eat, pack everything up and get back on the boats. Now, I had the pleasure of telling our guests that my favorite rapid was coming up next. And this rapid's name is Sunshine. Don't let the name fool you. If you fall out of the boat on this rapid, you will be praying to see sunshine again. They usually got a couple of snickers from the people on my boat. Mostly it got some scared looks, but now they're listening and we get through the rest of the afternoon with some great white water. Once we arrive at the takeout point, we load up all of the gear into the trailers, get the guests on the bus and head back to our base camp. Now we get back to the base camp and while the guests are headed to go change into dry clothing, me and the guys, we would unpack all the gear and then head over to begin dinner for the guests. And we would make these unbelievable multi-course meals that were absolutely delicious, including cobblers over uh, hot coals. It was phenomenal. And when the guests finished eating, we would clean all those dishes. And then many nights we'd start a campfire. They start telling, telling stories about the time that they had on the river. And eventually, once it got late enough, I would be asked to go and get my guitar to come play some songs for the guests. You see, this is 20 years ago. There was no Bluetooth speaker. Spotify did not yet exist. I had to know as many popular songs as possible, stuff by the Eagles or the Beatles or Michael Jackson. And I would play these songs for the guests until eventually they'd go to bed. And I would head back to my tent and I'd set my alarm again for 530 in the morning to wake up and do it all over again. And the next morning I would wake up 
and I'd start the coffee and I'd start making food and I would clean the dishes. I would give the same safety talk day after day after day. What happened to my perfect summer job? It was something that was going to be so exciting. I was so stoked when I started this job and all of a sudden it had eroded into a list of tasks to be completed and personalities to be managed. I, I was so disengaged and it doesn't happen all at once. It happens slowly. And one night I was sitting by the campfire and all the guests had gone to sleep. And one of the older guides came and sat next to me. You see, I work with some eclectic people. His beard was so long, you could have taken him out and put him in ZZ Top and nobody could tell the difference. But he sat there and he stroked his beard and he goes, Joshua, I'm going to ask you a question. What did you do today to make those guests remember this for the rest of their lives? And he asked it so directly. It was like a gut punch. I had absolutely forgotten why I was actually there. I wasn't just there to cook meals and to clean up after the guests and then take them down the river safely. No, I had the rare opportunity to help create an experience that these individuals would remember for the rest of their lives. And I was taking it for granted. I had the coolest job in the world, and I still disengaged. No wonder other people find it so easy to disengage as well. It happens in all of our roles. You see, each of us begins our role from an engaged place, don't we? Nobody showed up on day one and goes, I can't wait to be mediocre. No, that doesn't happen. So... If we show up on our first day, I want you to think back to your first day and the job that you have now. If you're anything like me, you showed up early, you had your cup of coffee, you're going to take on the world, and then on day 500, you want to stab your coworker. So what happened in between there? They didn't change your role. What I would argue changed was your perspective of your role. You see, too often we get stuck in the day-to-day -day minutia. We forget what we're contributing to. We get stuck behind the KPIs, the unread emails, the office politics the Zoom meetings that get out of control. We lose sight of our actual impact behind our role. You see, in the beginning, our ambitions are so idealistic. Our intentions are so righteous. Our goals are so definitive. And our purpose is so clear. But like a glass door that gets handled too often, smudges begin to appear. It distorts and obstructs our view of the role that we find ourselves in. It happens in all of our roles. Whether you're a VP of XYZ or a chief blankety-blank officer, you get buried under the day-to-day -day minutia, the tasks, the functions, and the responsibilities of your role. We lose sight of our purpose. It happens in our personal roles as well. Our roles like friend or parent or partner. What we need to be doing is reaching out and reclaiming purpose. Because if we can do that, it allows to overcome all the obstacles in our way. All the minutiae doesn't seem nearly as hindering if we remember why we're doing it in the first place. You see, purpose is the confluence of four different things, right? It's the bringing together our talents being a good fit for our role, 
knowing that we're contributing to something bigger than ourselves, passion, an emotional investment in the actual role, and then actually driving meaning from that role. So come back to talents for a second, knowing that our talents are a good fit for that role. That is the only way that we could have purpose because people can be good at a role. They can be proficient. They can be effective. It doesn't mean they are a good fit for that role. When I was first starting off in the business world, I did door-to-door sales outside in a full suit and tie in Houston, Texas in August. So I want you to imagine 98% humidity at 102 degrees Fahrenheit. It was overwhelmingly hot and sticky. It was terrible in a full suit. And one of the guys that I work with, he was way better. He was the best salesman on our team. He always hit his numbers. I was always trying to emulate what he, he was doing because he was so good. And one day he shows up at our sales meeting and he tells us that he put in his two weeks. My first thought was, did you get a better job? Where? Where are you going? He goes, no, no, no. This job's not for me. I was like, but you're so good at it. He goes, it doesn't matter. I'm an introvert. I'm, I don't enjoy going out. I can, be as, I can be really effective. I can make a lot of money. I'm not going to be fulfilled here. So I'm leaving. See, his, his talent was not a good fit for that role. Whether he's effective or not doesn't matter. He wanted to derive purpose. Now, contribution, that's knowing that you're contributing to something bigger than yourself. So if we were to go back to World War II, women entered the industrial workforce like never before. Their avatar was Rosie the Riveter, a confident, strong woman who was ready to help contribute to the war effort. She knew that every rivet that she placed had an impact. It was building planes for our pilots, ships for our troops, tanks for the front lines, all in the effort to save Europe. How's that for having purpose behind your work? It's amazing. Of course, she sees the impact of every rivet. She knows what she's doing. But if you're going to take Rosie the Riveter out of the factory floor for a moment, and let's plop her down in a cubicle and say, Rosie, I need 200 rivets by lunchtime. She goes, wait, hold on. What is this going towards? Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I need you to focus on your work. Don't worry about what other people are doing. Just give me these 200 rivets. How quickly would she disengage? Almost immediately. She would not have a sense of purpose behind her work if we're just telling her to do this work in this vacuum. And we do that to our employees. Sometimes they know what their role impacts within their group. Sometimes they know what it impacts within their companies. But rarely do we take that extra step and help them realize what doing a great job means to everyone that depends on us, our clients and customers, our communities, not just our colleagues. We have to remember that we're part of something bigger than ourselves. Now, the third one I mentioned was passion. It's being emotionally invested in what you're contributing. We have to have that emotional investment behind us. Otherwise, we will never care. And the last one, of course, is meaning. Having meaning behind that work. See, we're really good about talking about what our role is, or what somebody in our role does. We're going to talk about what our company is or what our company does. You see, our role, that's our title. It sits on our LinkedIn profile. It's on our email signature. It's not compelling on a Monday morning. So let's talk about what somebody in my role does. Well, that's just the list of tasks, functions, responsibilities, those KPIs associated with my work. Is that compelling? Absolutely not. Where the real rubber meets the road to really inspire our team. And to keep them within our organizations, we have to be showing them what them doing a great job means. We have to be bringing them that meaning. So in every interaction with our teams, with ourselves, in our roles, we need to be choosing, making the choice for purpose over perish. Thank you all very much.
I'm here. Do we have any questions? <laughs> Joshua, thank you. So I was trying yeah. to click, click, click. Normally I'm doing all the clicking for Dwayne. You know, and it's easy for me just to replace and add in, but now I've got to do it all for myself. <laughs> thank oh, you I'm very much. I'm sorry to put so much more on your plate. <laughs> no, no, it's, this is a whole new purpose. <laughs> I really enjoyed that. You know, um, so many of us have either worked for corporations before or for other people and others become entrepreneurs and you work for yourself and then you, the role reverses. You have people that also need a purpose and work for you and I know my failings, I, you know, I always not engage enough with some of them. Um, I had some good bosses in the past. I had some good colleagues. I like your analogy of after five days wanting to stand them. I can't personally say I ever wanted to do that. Um, maybe other things, but no, thank you very much. Uh, that was fantastic. So we do have a couple of questions. Fantastic. Uh, Bring them on. Is it possible to help someone that has lost their sense of purpose and to re rediscover it? Absolutely. It's not always easy because of, of modern day distractions in the workplace. But I think that if somebody had purpose behind work, if they saw that, that deeper element to it before, what they need to do is, in, coming back to what I was saying, find a way to, to wash off that, that glass window so it's not obstructed by all the um, minutia. And so I think if we can take time away from the tasks of our job and remember what the larger impact is. And that it's as small as going and asking a coworker, and it's hard to do this, right? But asking a coworker, hey, look, when I do a great job, what does that mean to you? Because I guarantee you they've never, been, they've never been asked that question, but it forces them to think for a moment about what you're actually doing. And then hopefully they give you an answer that gives you something deeper behind just, you know, getting these check boxes done or moving this further down the line. If we can get beyond what the actual job is, whatever those tasks are, and remember what that impact beyond the task is, that allows us to reconnect with why we cared in the first place. Hmm, thank you very much. No, that makes complete sense. And you know, quite often I find that people don't always give feedback. Um, and especially people that we work with, it's, it's quite challenging. And we work with speakers, clients, and to get good feedback that we can posit positively reinforce, not only the job we do, but like you say, more of that, the, the bigger purpose. I think that's, okay, another question before I talk too much. Uh, how do you create, Tanya asks, how do you create the connection to purpose? So, and that, that comes in following the impact, all right? Following the impact of what your work does. We're, we're pretty good about following it one or two stages down the line, right? Like I know if I get this project done, then this person's gonna be able to take it and then go try and implement it or go test it. We, we see that. That's, that's a short-term connection. We need to be looking at those longer-term connections. Um, there was a really neat Uber driver that I had in Tucson, Arizona um, quite, a, quite a while ago, but I got in the car and I, I always ask her why they drive for Uber. And she said, I'm so passionate about driving for Uber. And I've never heard that before. Are you kidding me? I've, I've heard Uber's okay. I like the schedule. I've never heard anybody say, I'm passionate about driving for Uber. And I was like, why? And her whole reasoning was that she only works from midnight to 6 a.m. so that she can get people home that need a ride. And she went even deeper as to saying that she would give people rides even if they didn't have the money to pay because she wanted to make sure that people arrived safe. And when I dug a bit deeper, it turned out that her sister had died in a drunk driving accident. And because of that, she felt this immense need to go out there and help other people. Now, her impact is so close to what she's doing, right? She knows that she, this single person gets home safely. The problem is a lot of us in our roles, we aren't that close to the direct impact that we have. So it's harder for us to see. I would wonder how many times she's ever been asked that question. I mean, that's quite something where you, you've engaged with her and just said, why do you do this? Why do you do this shift? 
Well, that's a great question. And normally I'll start, hey, what's your side hustle? Because usually Uber is paying for whatever their passion project was. But this is the first time I heard somebody saying that Uber was their passion project. And it, and it, it, I took, took a step back from that. And I was like, I have to find out why. And we're having that. It, we don't all have to have some sort of trauma in our lives to find passion or purpose in the work that we're doing. But we do need to realize the work we're doing has a much bigger impact than just the small results that we see. So friends just actually uh, added there. She said, I'm going to add that question to our employee review. So great awesome. question to ask. Yeah. Couple more questions. Uh, how do we get people connected to the greater purpose when we are working in a hybrid workspace? So I think, you know, that the world has changed. That's a great question because of what's happened over the last two years globally. Um, some countries are still struggling. Others have moved out of it to some degree. So great question. That is a wonderful question. I think that we, we were all forced to adapt and evolve so quickly um, that a lot of organizations carried, um, I'll say their employee purpose in, into the virtual uh, environment. But the problem is, is when you bring new people on, how do you make that team cohesion stay, right? How do you keep that collaborative environment when people are um, no longer bound to a geographic location? I think it's, it's all in how you encourage um, not just talking about the work and, and how the work impacts the people that you're, you're contributing to, but also making sure you're taking time to have conversations that aren't just about work, right? That's what helps create a team is people having these shared connections that aren't just about the latest projects or KPIs that they're associated with. I think if you can do that, um, you can create more authentic relationships and then people can help bring each other up when they're faced with these challenges of um, purposelessness. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that, that that sort of leads next to the next question that quite often we see employees only wanting a paycheck, that they're there, they want their paycheck, they go home, they pay what they need to do, and it covers what they, uh, their living costs and everything else. Um, All right, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throttle myself back on this one because I will go on <laughs> a soapbox about it. But I, here's the thing. For the past seven decades, we've been bribing people. We've been treating them like mercenaries. All of our employees, that's what we've been doing. We've been bribing them to come. We go, here's a stack of money if you do these functions. And they go, great. And they come aboard and we give them this money. But then our competitors come up with the same list and a little bit bigger stack of money. We can't get mad if they go. We've conditioned them to be mercenaries. And then we sweeten the pot, right? They did, they did pensions for a long time, but those are out of vogue. Now we're going to do mashing 401ks or Roth 401ks. We're going to do a health savings account. We're going to do free tacos on Friday. We're going to do unlimited PTO, but ha, 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 people don't actually take more when you give it to them. Um, we're going to do free beer on Fridays, but only have two beers because you have three in front of your boss. He's going to think you're a lush. And so we do all these things trying to create a company culture, but no, those are just bribes. I have three young children. Bribes don't work. They don't. What we need to be doing is helping our employees develop an emotional connection to their contribution. In fact, in a recent study, they found out, so we know now that 51% of the entire working population are millennials. And when they're surveyed, 86% of millennials say they will work for less money if they care about the work that they're doing. So we're throwing money at the wrong thing. We're trying to bribe them to be here, but that's not going to create loyalty. That's just going to create a mercenary. We don't want to do that. If we want to get a great organization, we want people that are loyal to what we're doing. So if we can get them to care, if we can get them to purpose, they won't just want to stay. They'll never want to leave. They won't be updating their resume. They won't be putting that green swoosh that says open to work on LinkedIn. No, they will be so loyal. They will help you make a better company. That's why it's so important. It's not about the money. Yes, people need to sustain life. I get that. But if you want to create the right kind of team, it's much more important for you to create that emotional connection to what they're contributing. 
Well, I was going to ask this. So I think it's a fantastic answer to that question of the paycheck and why we do what we do. And you know, is everybody just there to deposit something into their bank account? Um, how do we create or find out what they care about? Um, how do we find out what their purpose is? So, you know, Fran said that she's going to add that question to the employee review. But I think the challenge is often they're not forthcoming. So it's quite hard to engage with a lot of employees on what is your purpose? What is it that you, we tried this question. I can say that we, I remember with our staff back in South Africa when we were still there, we sat them all down and Bronwyn said to them, tell me, what is your purpose? What is your why? You know, that Simon Sinek one. What, why are you here? What is it that drives you to work with us? And we shared what our purposes were. And we had one who couldn't. She said, I, I don't have a purpose. Not a purpose at, on anything. So mm. it's quite difficult. How do we find the trigger though, of what helps people to care? Well, it's real purpose, right? If you're going to die deep, it's so unique to the individual that we have to, I'll say, develop a workplace vernacular around this because right now we stand behind these facades of professionalism. I mean, I'm wearing a suit right now, right? I'm, I'm trying to look professional. I, I'll be honest, I don't have shoes on. But we stand behind this veil of professionalism in our workplaces. And I think we need to be opening ourselves up more emotionally. It's hard. It's scary. It's like going to the deep end of the pool for the first time. It's, it's, it's disconcerting to put yourself out there. But the second that you do, the rewards are boundless because then all of a sudden your employees realize they're allowed to not only care about their team and about their work, but how they're allowed to care about bringing other people in. They're, alla- they're allowed to have a say about the culture within the organization. If we can do that, if we can start having those more open conversations emotionally about it, people are going to be a lot more willing to not just um, discuss it, but to dive into their own um, desires and needs and ideals behind their purpose within the work. I think if we can bring that to people, we're going to have much better teams and much more effective workplaces. And as you said earlier, that uh, I know we're having a bit of a chat here, a bit of a discussion, but I love this this banter, this, this, this whole new direction, because you mentioned 51% of the workforce is millennials or are millennials. And, you know, they, they sort of have a bad rap and we give them a bad rap on how difficult they are to work with and what they want and they don't have a purpose. But actually they do. We just haven't found our way of dealing with them and how to interact with them and make them more inclusive. So I think employee engagement and finding your purpose is so relevant. So as a speaker and what you talk about, who would you say is your ideal audience? Everyone. But to be honest with you, I think and that's an easy answer. I think any industry where they have faced substantial changes, which obviously is every industry right now, or any organization that's had to adapt and to evolve and is concerned about how their employees are connecting with the work at hand. If they want to have these deeper conversations, these deeper connections, if they want their employees to have resilience and to be inclusive and to have a phenomenal company culture. You need to be having these conversations about purpose. So those would be the types of organizations that I would fit best with. Um, because my goal isn't just to get up and share stories. My goal is to give them ideas and tools that they can take back to their workplaces and actually implement, whether it's just implementing themselves, implementing to a team or implementing to a whole organization. And what about this deeper search for purpose? The deeper search for purpose. Well, that's a conversation we all have to have with ourselves. So we've got people uh, quite spread out here. I mean, I know 
you know, there's seven to ten uh, people attending there. So we've got from San Diego to Nebraska. I know Eddie's out in Egypt um, doing business there. And we've got some people from South Africa. So quite spread across the world at the moment. And the everyone's talking about the great resignation in America. In Africa, there's the great unemployment. Um, I'm not quite sure what's happening in, in Egypt and the in northern parts of Africa. But how do you think purpose relates to what's happening here in the US and the great what? resignation? Or how can we turn that on the opposite side of to try and get people more employment? I, I mean, I know it's a, it's a huge cavity between the two, but is there some correlation of keeping people there? I'm going to try and span that chasm, okay? Let's try and do that. I think I can do it. So here, I would argue that the great resignation has nothing to do with a fight for talent. All right, people know they're talented. They're in the workplace. It is a crisis of purpose. Because if somebody has purpose, they're not going to be leaving. They're not going to be wanting to go anywhere else, right? It's not, it's not about them looking for, for more money. They're looking for an environment that makes them feel good inside. That makes their heart sing when they go to work. That's what they're searching for. That's what their great resignation is really about. Um, don't let them fool you. Now, as far as looking for employment, I think that organizations, and is this because people are faced with the fact that they are unemployed? Is that what you're asking? Duncan? It's just a lack of employment. So quite often. Yeah, okay, so, so people, people looking for work. I think yeah. it, it, that's an, always a hard place because you're emotionally beat up. You're psychologically um, uh, worn down because if you're looking for work constantly, it, it's definitely difficult. But I think the attitude that you bring into interviews, the attitude with which you approach organizations is going to extend well beyond if you do get hired. So if you can go in and take a look at an organization, you can see that this organization makes this, that impacts this, that can cause this to be a positive impact on the lives of other people. Carrying that into these interviews or even sending a, um, a resume with a letter attached to it that, that states, hey, I know your company does this, but I know that the impact is actually this. And it, it matters to me because of these reasons. And this is why I think that your company has a much deeper purpose than others I've looked at. I'd love to chat about that. An employer is going to look at somebody who actually took the time to research and to, to really dive into what their company really does and give them more time. They're going to be like, wait a second, okay, this person actually cares. Let's give them the time of day, right? That's, that's the type of, of cover letter that goes to the, stop of, the top of a stack. And so I think if we, can, if we can make that stretch, that reach, and really grab a hold of what we see as the purpose for those organizations, it's going to make us a lot more um, desirable on the job market. Well, I think that's a perfect way to end it. I mean, we, we don't have a quick fix, but uh, I love this. I, I think we've chatted. We've had a great 10, 10 15 minute Q&A session. All of these are available, as we've said before, on demand. Um, so you can watch them um, on there and the links will be sent out. Joshua, thank you so much for your time. It's oh, thank you so much pleasure. for having me. Right, thank you. And um, I think this is a discussion that should be continued. And to continue that, the only way is to book you. So you're available, as you can see, virtually or in person. So I think that's great. Thank you very much.